You're listening to a podcast from Oasis Church Waterloo. To find out more, visit oasiswaterloo.org. Good morning, my name's Dave. Um, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm part of the leadership team at Oasis Church Waterloo. I want to start this morning by telling you a story. It's a fantastic story, a creation story. Um, it's the story that starts like this, out of the chaos Two gods were formed, a god and a goddess, Apsu and Tiamat. Apsu and Tiamat were husband and wife and had some godlet children, but the children were noisy, they were tempestuous, they irritated their parents, they kept their father awake at night. And one night Apsu is lying awake, not able to sleep, and decides the only thing he can do to solve this problem is to wipe out his children. So Apsu decides he's going to have to kill all his children. Tiamat doesn't want that to happen. She warns her children. She hopes they'll quiet down and give Apsu a break. But what actually happens is that one of the children sneaks into Apsu's bedroom at night and kills his father in his sleep. Tiamat's distraught. She's furious. She consults her advisors and says, what on earth should we do about this? And decides that the only thing she can now do is go to war with her children too. And so she sets off into battle with her children. And in the great battle that ensues, the strongest of her children, Marduk, rises up and shoots Tiamat with an arrow. The gruesome story goes on to say that Marduk tears the body of Tiamat apart. And out of one half of her body, he makes the heavens. And out of the other half of her body... He makes the earth. And Marduk, now the king of the gods, goes after the advisor who advised Tiamat. And he finds the advisor and he says, out of you, I'm going to make a man to look after the earth, to make sure that the chaos is kept in control. And so out of the advisor, he makes the first man and says to the man, you are the servant of the gods. Look after this chaos. Make sure it doesn't get out of control in order that the gods are set free. That's a great story, isn't it? It's from something called the Enuma Elish. It's a gruesome story. It's the first Babylonian uh, creation myth. um, And it's one of the oldest creation myths. And the reason I tell you that is because then we read earlier that little passage from Genesis. On the first page of the Bible, the creation story that's in the Bible tells a narrative where God of love creates all things and blesses it. He creates the sky and he creates the earth and the waters and he blesses it and says it's good. And then he creates plants and animals and says they're good. And then he makes humankind, male and female, in his image. And he says at the very end of it, and it is very good. Couldn't be a bigger contrast between that creation story of violence and the creation story that we read on the first page of the Bible, which is a story of love, a story of equity. A story of a God who's blessing things. A story of a God that says humanity's not the servant of the gods to set their gods free. Humanity's there in the image of God to rule over and to steward and to be part of with me. In fact, that story was probably written while the Jewish people were in exile in Babylon and could have been a direct comparison with the Babylonian violent creation story. And I tell you any of that because we're about to answer the question, why did God let coronavirus happen? And we can only really answer that question in my mind if we start with this first principle, that the meta-theme of the Bible, the meta-theme of the story of Christianity, the meta-theme is that God is the God of love. It's written on the first page of the Bible and the last page and everywhere in between. If we come up with any conclusions to that story which don't look like the God of love, if we come up with any conclusions to the way we think about coronavirus that don't look like the God of love, we've probably got them wrong. 
So we're going to tackle that question. First thing I would say about the question, why did God allow coronavirus to happen? I think it's a bad question, a leading question. The question puts it like this, that God has allowed coronavirus and we've just got to work out why. Well, I'm here to say that, in my opinion, God did not orchestrate coronavirus, nor has God necessarily got the power to step in and stop it happening, but is choosing not to. Now, those are two huge things to say, so I will come back to them. But God didn't, in my opinion, orchestrate coronavirus, nor has he got the power to step in and is choosing not to use that power. And in my opinion, that paints quite a malign God if you go down that road. Second thing I would say about the question is that in the midst of pain and suffering, and we are patently in the midst of pain and suffering together, it's the wrong time to start theorising about, well, what's God's role in this? How was creation formed? It's the wrong time to theorise about anything, frankly. In those moments of pain and suffering, we've got to stop together, say this is terrible, it's not the way it's supposed to be, grieve together, lament together. I, I think in into creation is written this rich, deep seam of love, powerful, original goodness written into the fabric of humanity and all of creation. But I think equally in our creation, there is obviously something that doesn't quite work sometimes, something that's a bit broken, something that's sometimes out of kilter. When we see murders happen in our world, that's not the wonderful will of God. It's terrible. It's not the way it's supposed to be. When we see violence happening around the world, that's not the will of God. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. When we see children dying young, that's not the will of God. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. When we see disease and we see coronavirus, in my opinion, that isn't the will of God. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It's wrong. I think when pain and suffering is happening, we've got to stop Grieve, acknowledge it, say it's not the way it's supposed to be. Grieve together, grieve with one another, and in my opinion, grieve with a God who is anguished alongside us and grieving with us. See, I think the problem is when we try and square the circle of God is all loving and God is all powerful, and we end up coming up with some conclusions that do not look like the God of love. Therefore, theologians over the centuries have grappled with that issue and said, well, why is, does pain and suffering happen in our world? Um, Augustine, for instance, has, has a go at that and says, um, well, it's, it's something to do with original sin. It's something to do with the fall and Adam and Eve and the world being cursed. But, but a, a redemption plan is on its way. In my opinion, that still leaves a quite difficult God. God is still all-powerful, so I guess could choose to step in, but he's not into the pain and suffering. It puts lots of the blame on humanity for the brokenness of the world. It also seems to say, although you've got a part to play while the world's cursed, you've got to sort of sit this one out until the redemption plan comes. And to be honest, that leaves me in a difficult place with understanding God. Another theologian, Irenaeus, had a, a go at answering this problem. And Irenaeus says, actually, pain and suffering is an opportunity for maturity, for mankind to move on, to grow. And I guess that is true. We can probably all think of situations where we've grown and matured as a result of pain and suffering. But it's not always true. And are we really saying that the God of love allows refugees to die in a boat in the Mediterranean so that humanity can learn and grow. Are we really saying that the God of love allows people to live lives of complete pain in order that 
people can grow and mature. Again, that is a difficult God for me to understand. There's a third option. It's called process theology, if you want to go and look it up. But process theology says perhaps we ought to think God is a bit less in control, a bit less powerful than we might think. We should think that God is supremely loving, more loving than we could possibly imagine. But perhaps God isn't in control in quite the way that we think. God's got a persuasive power. God's trying to encourage us to step into creation alongside him. God's got a persuasive power that's saying, step in, become part of the process, become part of the journey. Be part of creation. You've got a role to play too. And in the midst of that, I guess there's a question. Why worship a God who's not all-powerful? Why bother worshipping that God? Well, in my opinion, I would say, why have we put power and control on such a pedestal? The metal theme of the Bible isn't about power and control. That creation story we read in Genesis isn't about power and control. It's about love. 1 Corinthians 13, that great story about the character of God, doesn't finish with, and the greatest of these is power. It finishes with, the greatest of these is love. Why have we put power and control on such a pedestal for being the reason to worship God? In my opinion, God is the God of love. God is the God of solidarity that's in it with us. God is the God who's on our side. God is the God of relationship and persuasion. But perhaps God is less in control than we think, or in control in a different way to the way we've imagined. None of that really answers the question, well, why was creation ever created like this? And frankly, I think there's mystery in that question. I think it's probably got something to do with the free will of human beings, but I think there's mystery in it. But because I can't answer that question, I'm not left feeling hopeless. I think, as I said at the start, there's this rich seam of love and goodness, original goodness, powerful force built into the creation and built into all of humanity. And I think, frankly, even despite some of the brokenness we see around us, it's the most powerful thing there is going. I think the arc of history is genuinely tending towards a creation where all tears will be wiped away. And so I think we've got a part to play. I think we are called to step into that creation, to grieve sometimes at the things where they're not in control, to grieve with God sometimes for the things that are not quite right. But we've got to put love into action. We've got to look for the places where injustice is happening and say our job here is to grieve, lament and then put love into action. And so as we think about coronavirus, I think our job is to stop, say this isn't right, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Grieve, lament with one another and with God and then say what can we do to step in, put love into action and make sure that injustice doesn't exist in our world. And we see so many stories within coronavirus where it's pointed out to us the great injustices that there are in our societies. So I think that's our job. Stop, reflect, lament, grieve, and then put love into action.